Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. We're just trying to get it together, trying to help the fellow Yes, well, welcome, welcome again to Blog Talk Radio. It's Tuesday night, and we are here like we always are to talk to someone who can help us make the world a better place. That's what we're after, just like the song says, and uh, we're seeking to be Christians who are connected to the world around us and uh, seeking to make it a better place for everybody. Um, boy, we sure need that right now. And uh, tonight uh, is no exception to the rule of tremendous guests. We have uh, a special guest with us tonight um, who is a, a psychiatrist, but in a really different way. And we'll have him tell you about that in a few minutes. Uh, Dr. Charles Kinney. Um, has a bachelor's degree from the University of Notre Dame and Ph.D. in psychology from Clark University. And what Dr. Kinney saw is the application of his academic expertise to commercial and the social world early on, to the way people think and the way we feel and the way we make decisions And based on all that, he founded a a strategic marketing research firm called The Right Brain People. And uh, you're going to be fascinated just to hear some of the things that uh, Dr. Kinney will say. He is a friend. Let me say he's a friend of the catch. He's a friend of ours. Um, He has worked with Dr. Kinney in uh, numerous times in the past. And uh, uh, Charlie, we're just so glad to have you to Blog Talk Radio. Thank you, John. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here and to join you this evening. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, be, I understand you began some of your discovery uh, with, a, with a mutual friend of ours who was actually um, our original chairman of the board of the catch, uh, Peter Hershen and our dear friend, um, maybe Marty suggested it might be possible for you to tell us a little bit of the story of the bright, right brain people through uh, working with Peter, through, through how that came about and, and what you discovered there. Would that be a good way to begin? Oh, I think it would be a great way. Sure. I'd <laughs> uh, be glad to do that, John. Back in, when I was a junior at Notre Dame, I read a book by Vance Packard called The Hidden Persuaders, and in that book he tells of how Freudian psychological theory was applied to advertising back in the uh, mid-1950s by some of the refugees and immigrants from 
Nazi Germany and Austria and elsewhere who were trained in uh, either by Freud or uh, trained in Freudian theory. And the whole idea was that we have uh, unconscious motivations that drive and influence our behavior. And the hidden persuaders idea came from the claim that movie theaters were putting on uh, very short uh, film clips uh, subliminally on the screen, such short exposures that the brain didn't actually consciously recognize the picture of popcorn or, say, Coca-Cola. Hmm. But nonetheless, it had an impact on the subconscious mind, and so they would buy more popcorn and drink more Coke, <laughs> uh, and that was the story. Now, there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of stories about that, uh, almost a paranoid theory of how somebody's out there trying to m manipulate people. And I was fascinated by that. Not that I believe that literally, but the idea that people, I was already interested very much in Freudian theory, and that's how I got interested in psychology when I was a sophomore. And so it was very appealing. And I think that was the beginning of it all. Then I went for my Ph.D., and you know what, John? I started in clinical psychology, like so many people do in psychology. Mm -hmm. And when I went on my internship in my third year, which is when they finally let you do therapy, I immediately discovered mm. that I didn't want to do this stuff. <laughs> I had no interest in, in doing therapy, but my interest in, in the mind and how it works and in dreams and in the subconscious, all that remained. So I sold my couch, metaphorically, and then years <laughs> later I wound up buying a recliner chair, which is what we put our uh, our subjects, our, we call them respondents, that we interview for, well, for McDonald's, for Coca-Cola, so mm -hmm. we're still talking about Coca-Cola, for uh, mm -hmm. Nissan, uh, when the SUV craze started, we did work... Uh, for TV stations, uh, networks on network television. Uh, there's uh, pharmaceutical drugs. The, the range and spectrum that we covered across the board. But you asked me about Peter. And yeah. I just talked yeah. with him on the phone the other day. We're still in touch with him. Oh, and very much so. He's been a, a mentor. And uh, he doesn't know this. Don't tell him, John, but... Uh, I call him my spiritual godfather. And mm. what I mean by that is not in the religious mm. sense, but in, in the professional sense that he really showed me the way. And here's how he did it. We had already started the right brain approach. We had already developed a specific methodology of getting people to relax and visualize and the key to it all, John, is to relive, which I know uh, Marty, of course, knows about and, and I've told you about, to relive experiences that they've had. So just a short quickie as to how that works. I mentioned um, uh, the SUV work uh, that we did, but the best example is Corvette. They were in trouble. So when we did the Corvette interviews, what we would do is say, now what I'd like you to do and this is a Corvette owner. This is somebody who's on his third or fourth Corvette. 
and maybe one or two of the others are still in the garage. What do you think about that, John? Have you ever heard? A lot of Corvette owners don't ever sell their Corvettes. They just get another mm-hmm. one. <laughs> uh, you know, that's just so fascinating. We we wound up, uh, we, we discovered two Corvette owners that had 34, 35, or 36 Corvettes, obviously, in a rented garage and storage. Can you imagine the cost of keeping wow. them up? Uh, it's just unbelievable. Um, but we'd take them back to their earliest experience with Corvette and get them to relive it. So, for example, we would say, now what I'd like you to do is go back in your mind's eye to the very earliest time, the very first time that comes to your mind, way back, when you're first becoming aware that there's this car called a Corvette. And bingo, they're back to when they're 11 years old or 9 years old or 13 years old. and, And they're probably seeing, and in most cases, they're seeing some big man on the high school campus, maybe the high school quarterback from four years ago, and now he's back at the campus visiting, and and he's he pulls up in his red Corvette convertible, and <laughs> there's at least 25 or 30 kids around him, and, and the girls are jumping up and down, and, and this kid says to himself, <laughs> I'm going to have one of those cars one day. So that's we call that an auto suggestion, where people give themselves suggestions that go into the mind and go deep in there, and then as they grow up a little bit more, they forget, they forget about it. But when they're in their forties or late forties, and they feel maybe a little some of that youthful vitality slipping away from them, bingo, they're in the Chevrolet dealership and they're looking at Corvettes, and really does fulfill a whole series of different emotional needs that people have. That's And so well, what do you do with that? Well, what you do with that is you realize that there's something very special about this car that the people who are selling Corvettes, so when they get into the dealership, they're, reading, they're running into this bumpkin who's trying to sell a Corvette with pressure and deals and all that the same way he would sell an Impala. Mm-hmm. Or a caprice or something. No way. You got to treat these people differently. Mm-hmm. They're special. Now they they're successful. Mm-hmm. They have money. They're not ordinary. They would never be in the Chevrolet dealership uh, unless they were buying a suburban. Mm-hmm. And then they'd be buying a, a, a GMC. They wouldn't be buying a Chevrolet badged suburban. They'd buy an upscale suburban. Mm-hmm. So you got to treat them special. And the whole sales force throughout the country didn't know how to do that. So hmm. one of the, one of the things we did was uh, show them uh, at Chevrolet, how to treat the Chevrolet, uh, not the Chevrolet, the Corvette buyer and how different that was from an, a regular Chevrolet buyer who's interested in economy hmm. and fuel mileage. And so lasting a Corvette owners ever interested in, but the Corvette is so special that they don't ever want that thing to decay. And so you have to, they, they had to re-engineer their whole approach to the quality that they built mm. into that thing because the brand was struggling. They were losing market share. They were losing money and they were considering putting it out of its misery. And we were able to show them the pathway forward. Four years later, in 1993, they came out with a 
brand new model, and instead of losing $500 million in gross uh, profit, they made $500 million in gross profit. Hmm. And that, wow. that's one of, one of our best stories. That's why we put it on the website. But very often our clients are able to to see that kind of result. Hmm. So what did what did you do with Peter? Um, were, oh, were you working with the <laughs> the Silver Dollar City or? Oh, yeah. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. We. <laughs> I'm sorry, I got carried away. Uh, well, we met Peter <laughs> long before that, and we met Peter in the very beginning of our work. We we had clients, and we were doing uh, work, but we were doing it through a couple of ad agencies and another research firm. We didn't have that much uh, regular face to face contact with the client and then one day uh, we got a call from an associate in Little Rock and said we have, that's in Arkansas by the way for you folks in California, (laughs) Little Rock, Arkansas and which is in Arkansas and Missouri and the Ozarks and Silver Dollar City is right up the road a short two and a half hour drive uh, into the southern Ozark Mountains and they told us about this theme park in uh, Silver Dollar City in Branson, Missouri. And they wanted us to come over and meet with them and be part of a strategic planning team to put a plan together, five-year plan for Silver Dollar City. That's when we met Peter. And uh-huh. the, he, the two things that stand out the most is, Peter said, Charlie, can you figure out why people come to Silver Dollar City, while they visit us in our city. And I was struck by the way he said it. He didn't say, he didn't say, he didn't talk about his customers. He called them visitors. And he mm-hmm. didn't, he didn't ask, uh, why, why do they come to my park? He said, why do they come to my city? Why do they visit my city? And why do they come back again and again? And I said, Peter, I have no idea. I've never been there. But we can find out. I don't know why, but we know how to find out why. Mm -hmm. So he brought us. uh, I had a junior partner at the time. The two of us brought our families with us to really be, if you want to look at it this way, our own respondents, our own subjects for the Hmm. – figuring out what makes Silver Dollar City such a draw. And we had a wonderful two-day, uh, actually it was more like a three-day vacation there, and then went on our way. But we interviewed ourselves. We used our own <laughs> techniques to interview ourselves. <laughs> and we had never done anything like that before, but uh, we, we didn't have any respondents, and we didn't have any access to them, so uh, that's what we did. And uh, we figured out a lot of what made the city tick. That was the beginning of it. But what, Ah. more about Peter, he taught me a lot of basic concepts of marketing. And, you know, I'm watching Mad Men with my wife right now on Netflix, and it's so fascinating to see how these arrogant ad agencies work, at least back in the 50s. Of course, we know, John, you and I know, they're, are, are not any arrogant people left in that agencies, right? They're all, they're all gone. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, yeah, uh, for sure. <laughs> right, right. So, but that's what they show uh, there, and uh, it what P- 
Pete said is, Peter said is, I don't have anything to sell, to advertise, if if I don't have a great experience here in the city. And so, what I want you to do is is help me understand what it is about this experience that's really clicking and appealing to people and bringing them back, and what it is about it that we need to work more on. And and the other the other thing that he taught me is that a business like Silver Dollar City can do hundreds of different things to improve their product, to improve the customer experience, to strengthen the brand, because it's all about the brand. So he taught, taught me a lot about the brand, too, and the importance of brand and how it works. They can, But they don't know where to put the money. Peter said, we have... Hmm a list of 200 things we can do for the following year to make the city better, but we don't know which ones to spend the money on. We don't know what what the priorities are. You need to help us with the priorities. And that was a real eye-opener. So he gave Hmm. me a very quick course in basic marketing concepts. I'd never had a marketing course in my life, which actually is a help, I think, because I learned it from... (laughs) the ground up <laughs> and uh he talked to me about the three circles uh concentric circles of target marketing and everybody we that knows us because they're within spitting distance <laughs> hey knows our phrase and then the people have to drive a lot further and then the people who are way out and we're gonna we're gonna spend our money and we're gonna target people and we're gonna approach the marketing in those three concentric circles very differently. But we still need to know the basics from you and about what makes them tech, the psychology of it all, and that's what we were able to provide. And mm-hmm. since that time, uh, Silver Dollar City has grown into uh, the Hershend Family Entertainment Corporation with 35 properties uh, in, in the world, but most of them are in America, but they have a few overseas too, mm-hmm. I think. And uh, it's just a remarkable phenomenon. And uh, I, I just thank the, the family and thank Peter and Jody uh, for all the help that they gave us back mm. in the beginning. And uh, I'll be talking with um, uh, and visiting Peter in another few weeks about a major project that we we are doing and uh, expanding and uh, moving out to the general public and we could probably talk just a little bit about that, John, toward the end of the program. Yeah. You know, uh, but let's just back up. Let's back up just a little bit because, um, you know, uh, not everybody uh, thinks in terms of right brain, left brain. And maybe it would be good to, to just uh, familiarize us with, with what that, what, what's the difference between that and, um, you know how how does that that affect us? I know, uh, like I'm I'm thinking that we probably, I, I assume that we all think we're more left brain than we really are. <laughs> Is am I right about that? And well, well, I think we do, and I think the reason is because there's a lot of well, let's back up as as to what is right thought of as right brain and left brain, right. First of all, all this is based on 
the neuroscience of the brain and what it really means to me as a consumer psychologist and a brand strategist is how does the mind work? So I think of the mind as a construct, a construction that has a physical Mm -hmm. reality at its base, but it's more than the physical reality. And what I say to people is that the mind uses the brain because without the brain there'd be no mind, but the mind is more than the brain. It's more than the electrical impulses. An engineer came over today, a friend of mine for 30 years, and gave me an engineering magazine, not a journal, but a magazine that talks about how there are electrical engineers who are trying to model the brain and recreate it. Well, they'll never be able to do that because the brain is uh, the foundation of something more. Uh, And we know that because of the way that people behave. They're not totally predictable, and I think that's really all you need to know. But when we say right brain and left brain, there are two hemispheres, the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere, and they do different things and they function differently. They're connected by 7 billion neurons. I didn't say 7 million. I said 7 billion neurons. Hmm. And so you really have two huge uh, parts of the brain, uh, one on the left side of the the brain or the head, <laughs> one on the right side. Mm-hmm. And the, the left brain is more of the seat of logic and numerical calculations and figuring things out and solutions to puzzles and crossword puzzles and you know, all that kind of thing, mathematics, numbers. Um, the right brain, on the other hand, is much more intuitive. And for us, what's important about it is that it's more visual than the, the left brain. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that tends to make it more artistic and more creative. So you find that the creative people in the ad agency are all more right brain. That is to say, they they're more, they more naturally do things that are artistic and uh, reactive and uh, uh, visually oriented. And when they take notes, they do it with doodles and pictures. And then there's the the left brain folks who who take care of the uh, media placement and they add up all the numbers about what what is the cheapest and best return on our dollars spent, whereas the right brain people are in the creative shop and they're all making beautiful pictures and coming up with great ideas and things like that. And you can see you can see the the guy in the media department, media placement department one madman, and they even tease him because he's so left brain, whereas the the creative people think that they run run the place, and the guy who owns it and started the agency sits in the back room and he knows that it takes both sides, but he's got to make let both of them think that they they kind of run the show because you've got the uh, the the uh, supervisor the uh, the account executives and the account supervisors who are 
a little bit of both, but they're actually more left-brain because they're business people, and then you've got the creative shop, and they're all right-brain and visually oriented. Now, the visual part is so important to us because it's the pathway into the uh, memory, the deep-seated memory that people have when you're interviewing that 48-year-old guy who now is, Mm. we're gal, but it's still 90-95% guys who buy Corvettes. When you're interviewing him, uh, you're, you're taking him back 30 years or 35 years to when he was 11 or 13. So you do that through the visual memory, and you ask him to go back uh, in his mind's eye, and his eyes are closed, and he's relaxed, and he's really losing himself in, in a part of his permanent locked-in memory that he has no real daily touch with. So let me give you an example about how this works. Uh, Supposing you were to, uh, I was to ask you, well, who was at your high school graduation? Grandmother, aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters, parents, uh, friends. What friends did you talk to? Maybe at the end of the day when you were saying goodbye to people and you never saw that guy again. You never saw that uh, girl again. Hmm. Uh, Same way with college graduation or at a wedding. You don't think of it. You don't have a memorized list in your mind of all the people who are there. But what you do have is visually based memories that have been locked into the mind by the emotional energy that's attached to the experience. And when that happens, then hmm. you don't forget about it. And so that's how you find, that's how you answer the question, who was at your graduation or who was at that party or who was at that wedding um, and otherwise you can't do it because you don't have a list of names memorized. And so we go right. after those visually based memories and the pathway is through the right brain because that's where the uh, visual uh, memory is locked in. And then we can evoke that experience and interview them about it as they're reliving it. And it's just absolutely fascinating mm-hmm. what we can learn about what makes people tick and what drives them and why they go in one direction mm-hmm. or another. Uh, Charlie, have you found out that uh, people make, uh, what do they use to make their decisions? And do they, do they make choices more from uh, right or left or can you, can you say that? Right. Yes. Um, yes, we can. We've all heard of rationalizations. Everybody knows what a rationalization yeah. is. It's a reason that people give for why they do stuff, the stuff that they do, maybe to their wives or their husbands or, or if they're <laughs> kids, to their parents. It's not the real reason that they did it, but it sounds logical and reasonable. And when you're scolding a kid and he's trying to explain why he did what he did, it sounds kind of absurd. So that's a little bit of a different manifestation of that process. But we decide... we. We come to what we want to do. We, the word decision is a, a bad word because it's not like we think it out and weigh all the alternatives in a lot of cases. We just mm-hmm. go by and do what we want to do. Uh, why do men get so shaky when their wives are window shopping? Oh, my God, because <laughs> they're afraid that they're going to buy stuff that they had no idea that they were going to buy. It's not in their budget. They don't have the money for it, but they're going to buy it. If they see it and they like it, they're going to buy it. Well, men do the same thing mm-hmm. in the sporting goods section. 
or in the yeah. auto, auto and the deal, automotive dealership. So it, it's it's human. It's not male or female, but we give people reasons for why we do what we do that come out of our the logical uh, processing in our mind. That's more left brain, and we uh, want what we want and quote decide close quote that we're going to get it in, in our right brain. So the right brain knows what it wants uh, impulsively and tries to get it, and, and the left brain finds ways uh, where the person can get it. And that's that's kind of how the left brain and right brain work together. But they're always connected with those 7 billion fibers, so it's very complex, but that's a, mm. a simple an, an analysis of it all. So that's why you... That's why you spend most of your time trying to find out what's going on in people's right brains, because that's that's really where the seat of the of their decisions and their emotions are. Is that right? That's right. It's the seat of the emo, of the of motivation that drives people uh-huh. to do what they're going to do. Yeah. I mean, who can explain why he buys tickets to the? Oh my gosh, I I can't even keep track of all your sports teams and the football teams out there that are mm-hmm. moving around, but. <laughs> Yeah. You got the Rams back, do they even know where well, they're gonna play? <laughs> but, but but why would some why would somebody we, buy two season tickets to a an NFL football team? Hey, you can't you can't there's no logical or rational explanation for that. It's passion, it's drive, it's it's interest, it's fun, uh it's a lot of things mm-hmm. but uh they're emotionally driven. Not that that's yeah. bad necessarily. It can be. It can be if people lose control, uh, and then all of a sudden now they're uh, they're in trouble. Whether it be mm-hmm. at a casino or uh, a restaurant or somewhere else. Is that um, a ding for us? Is that for us? No, 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 no. No, that's that, that, that's just someone calling in on my computer. I think. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> no, we're doing fine. Um, although, gosh, our, our time is 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 wrapping up, but uh, we can take just a few more minutes because I want to I want to bring in a spiritual aspect to this and talk right. about um, what what you know. Ha, have you done any work um, uh, in 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 the area of religion or uh, in people's uh, spiritual motivations and? And can you talk about that at all? Charlie? Yeah, I'll try to be very brief. Uh, back in the uh, early 1990s, Peter introduced, back to Peter Hirschhand again, introduced uh-huh. us to the Vitae Foundation in Jefferson City, Missouri, which is a, a pro-life educational organization. And they were interested in understanding the decisions that go into having an abortion as opposed to um giving birth to an unwanted, unplanned, unexpected um, baby in a pregnancy situation. Mm. And that's launched us into an entirely new direction. So for the past uh, 23 years since then, we it turns out we've done more and more work in this area. I mentioned to you earlier that mm. we work for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and people don't realize it, but they do a lot of television programming, and uh, they d- discover things. We discover things on their behalf in our work that cause them to change their approach to 
a lot of their programming and and make it um, more subtle and uh, more appealing to a wider uh, audience, hmm. uh, their target market, getting back to that uh, three-ring mm-hmm. uh, marketing, target marketing const- construct that Peter taught me. Uh, we uh, have been working for the Catholic bishops now since uh, the 19, the late, oh gosh, let's see, since 2010. And we've done uh, an enormous amount of work that's helped them in many respects. Uh, It's helped them figure out how better to communicate with, especially those members of the church who are not regularly going to Mass. And we've done other church attendance work for... uh, philanthropic organizations that are interested in in improving the culture. We all know that the traditional churches have been losing attendance, and it's the new kinds of churches, mm-hmm. the mega churches, the more evangelical and even Pentecostal churches that have been doing better relative to the more traditional churches. The Episcopalian church, for example, has lost fully two-thirds of their members over the past 10 or 15 years. And there's a lot of very strong concern in uh, church leadership about these issues. And so we've been able to discover some very important things that can be done, messaging, communications, how to uh, communicate with different types of people. Um, And next month, July 4th weekend, there's going to be the largest uh, meeting of its kind ever. It's a first for the Catholic Church. They're ha- having a uh, convocation, as they're calling it, in Orlando, July 4th weekend for four days, and the focus is going to be on missionary discipleship. And although Pope oh. Francis has been talking about that and a lot, and uh, Benedict and John Paul talked about e- the new evangelization, This is the first time that a a systematic focus has been placed on encouraging missionary discipleship among Catholic leaders from around the country, and our work has helped to inform and and shape that direction and uh, how to, uh, in effect, communicate in that that regard. And uh, we're working with some of the dioceses around the country on applications of that work. So it's very exciting to us to be able to work in in the Catholic Church in that way. But we're also doing a lot of uh, non-denominational work on marriage and uh, divorce, the marriage rate. We've had some really significant success in some beta testing in Jacksonville, Florida. Last year we uh, helped to bring down the uh, divorce rate significantly, decrease it by 17%. And uh, mm. it didn't ha- it didn't happen anywhere else in Florida. Uh, it was enough. Mm. Jacksonville's big enough to lower the divorce rate in the state of Florida by a couple percentage points, but it didn't happen anywhere else except in Jacksonville. And it was wow. it was the result of bringing people in to groups of four uh, hours to twelve hours of workshops, and seminars, training and development, and that kind of thing to strengthen strengthen relationships strengthen their marriages, uh, communicate with them in the first place to get them to come in, all based on our work. So we're very 
we're proud of that and very happy with it and hope to be able to extend that and do more of that in the future. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Wow, that's great. Well, this is certainly fascinating, and we've just I feel like we've just scratched the surface, but I, I am so thankful for you to spend a little time with us tonight, Charlie. And uh, maybe, uh, maybe maybe we'll have you on uh, at a later date. And I understand you're going to be uh, doing some you're going to be doing some radio things yourself. Uh, is that right? Yes, we are launching Mercy Radio um, in Memphis, Great. Tennessee. We do not have a Catholic radio station in Memphis, but we will soon, God willing. And so far, the Holy Spirit seems to be at work helping all that happen. We have a small board of uh, advisors, which is uh, part of a larger group called Lumen Civitatis, which is Light of the City. And so I'm on that board of advisors and uh, honored to be part of this initiative. We have a a bunch of great board members and advisors that we're working with and uh, the support of a lot of people. And it'll be something brand new for Memphis. It's Catholic population is only 4%. So we'll be speaking not just to Catholics, but to everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds great. Well, maybe later, later on, when we get that rolling, we can find some more, find out some more about how that's going. But yeah, uh, I'd love to. Charlie, I'd love to come back and yeah. tell you something about how the convocation worked out too. So, thank you very much, yes, John. Yes. Okay, Charlie. Thank you for being on the show. God bless, and and we'll talk to you again sometime soon. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Goodbye, everyone. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. Okay, well, there you have it, folks. It's uh, right brain people, and uh, I hope you learned something tonight. Uh, the right brain, left brain, why we do things. But it's fascinating, fascinating stuff. And uh, I think, I think it, it helps us to learn uh, what motivates us and where does our motivation come from. And uh, so uh, we, we are so... We're so thankful for Charlie to share some of this with us. And, and uh, boy, you know, let's just get the Holy Spirit going. And, and uh, I, I, think, I think he talks to our right brain. I really do, because that's where, that's where it needs to happen. So, um, Lord, Lord bless you. We'll, we'll be again with you next week. Uh, in the meantime, we're here to make the world a better place and we do that by taking God's grace that he's given to us and give it out to everyone that we see along the way so remember grace turned outward is the way we're going to change the world God bless you join us next week bye bye now Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.